I shared this with the first service, and I told my wife, I said, I don't think I'm going to share that with the second service. And then I changed my mind. Well, no, she said, no, you should share this. Um, so our opening collect for this week, um, it, it, it's a tradition in the Church of England, which we're Anglican, but that doesn't mean we're under the authority of England, okay? Um, but it's a tradition that this is called Stir Up Sunday because the collect begins by saying stir up. Uh, and it also has a reference to fruit in it. And so for the English people, uh, this is a reminder that now is time to, be to begin preparing your, your Christmas pudding. Uh, so if that's a tradition for you, great, here's your reminder. Um, but I, I love that. It's, it's, honestly, it's, it's just a lovely reminder that these prayers that we've been saying have been said and, and prayed together by faithful communities for generations, and we get to enter into that, um, both for spiritual reasons that are edifying and encouraging, and then also for practical reasons to uh, get your Christmas cooking done um, in time. Um, so I'm Pastor Rick, pastor here at Restoration. If we haven't had a chance yet to meet, I'd love to chat with you after the service. Um, I'll be around. Um, would love to, to talk with you. But here at Restoration, everything that we do in this community, everything that we do here on Sunday mornings and throughout the week are centered upon the person, Jesus Christ. We come here to know Jesus more, to be shaped by him, to be transformed by him, to see him more. We believe that God, the God who created the world, who created life itself, who created humanity, has clothed himself in flesh and walked among us. And his name is Jesus Christ. And we love the Bible because it tells the stories of Jesus. We read in the Old Testament the ways in which God has been preparing the world for generations for his arrival when he himself would step down and walk among us. We love the Gospels because they tell the stories of Jesus' life and the, and the wisdom and the grace and the love that he showed, but also his death and his resurrection. And then we love the New Testament because in this we hear the stories of, of God's people spreading God's good news across the world and just how it so rapidly spread um, across the world. So we love these things. We, we love talking about Jesus and the way that he's worked in the Holy Scriptures and the way that by the power of his Holy Spirit he is still alive working among us here today, now. And so if you're here and you have questions about Jesus, you've come to the right place. This is a Jesus community. This is a place where we expect to encounter Jesus through his word, through his ministry of the table, and by his spirit who lives and is poured out among us. So as the early church grew, and as, and as the, the church spread across the, the, the world, they started to begin um, developing these early statements of what every Christian should believe. And they, they called these creeds. We say the Nicene Creed every single week. And in the Nicene Creed, it says this line that's kind of bizarre, kind of, kind of confusing, kind of strange. We say this every week. Jesus will come again to judge the living and the dead, and his kingdom will have no end. That idea that Jesus will come again is challenging and confusing to us, isn't it? And honestly, sometimes, because of the way in which uh, some Christians behave and act, it's, it can sometimes be an embarrassing thing, right? Uh, in, the, in this modern age, there have been leaders who stand up and they say, we know when Jesus is going to come. They point to the calendar at a specific day and then that day comes and goes and we all just feel a little awkward about it, right? <laughs> so these things happen. But not only is the timing hard, but the content of it is challenging because we believe that when God comes again in Jesus Christ, it will be a day of judgment. 
We believe that the words that, that we read aloud in, in the prophet Isaiah are true, that that will happen. And so for any man or woman who's taken an honest account of their life, well, that's a rather soul-rattling notion, isn't it? I mean, there's things in our lives that we would prefer God not to see. Thank you very much. Well, this brings us to Paul's letter, St. Paul's letter, to the church in Thessalonica. The Thessalonians, which as I've said a few weeks ago, is a difficult word for me to say. Um, the Thessalonians, I've been practicing, uh, are asking Paul if he's figured out the day. Do you know what the day is, Paul? They're, they're writing to him again. It's a subject that they've already talked about with Paul, but they're asking him again. You know, Paul, through your study or, or maybe through your prayer or, or in your conversation with other apostles, have you figured it out? Can you please tell us the date? Can you imagine how powerful that piece of information would be if we had that? Like, if we had that? Now, maybe because of the embarrassments uh, that happen in our culture, we don't allow ourselves to go there, but think about it. Like, what sort of plans would change? How would your schedule change? Um, maybe you would rearrange your vacation schedule, right? Uh, maybe you would pull some investments <laughs> um, that you might have. Maybe you'd rearrange your social life so you wouldn't hang out with certain people or you would hang out with other people. Maybe your education would change. Maybe your, um, your religious devotion would change. Maybe you would cash out as much of inheritance or you'd, you'd scrap up as much money as you possibly can. You would party hard for a proper stint of time, and then you would spend the remainder of your time repenting and wanting to be clean and, and ready for when the Lord comes. What would your plan be? Not that that's what mine would be. I'm just hypothesizing. But the problem is that we don't know the date, right? We can't figure this out. And uh, Paul is pretty clear with the Thessalonians. He says, hey, it's as if he's saying, I'm paraphrasing obviously, we've already talked about this. You're fully aware about these things. We don't actually have to talk about this because we've covered it. You know, and we can kind of be reminded of what Jesus himself has said. He said, only our Father in heaven knows what the date, what the time and the hour is going to be. The fact is, is that Jesus will come again. He told us this. And when someone who has, I don't know, healed people of their maladies, when someone who's cast out evil from individuals and communities, when someone has raised people from the dead and who himself has died and risen again, if someone like that says they're coming back, we should probably pay attention to that. So that's what we're going to do today. We're going to look into this, this letter um, of Paul that he's written to the church. And I think we can draw three invitations uh, from this passage for all of us, not just to the early church, but these invitations, I think, speak to all of us. And, how we, and, and hopefully this will help us prepare for the coming of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, who will come again to judge the living and the dead, and his kingdom will have no end. So... Let's begin with the first few verses. So Paul, in this opening section, he, he uses several metaphors to describe the second coming of Jesus Christ. He says this will be like a thief in the night. That is, Christ's coming will be sudden and unexpected. But also, he says, this is like a woman giving birth. Uh, Christ's coming will be sudden and it will be unavoidable. There's no escaping this. So what Paul is trying to say here is stay alert. The coming of Jesus will be unexpected, unavoidable, and sudden, he says. It'll be a surprise, is another word that he uses in this passage. 
And then he goes on to say, starting in verse 5, he says that depending on your relationship to Jesus, people will experience the second coming of Christ differently. I mean, listen to what he says. I'll read this again. He says in verse 5, For you are all children of light. He's speaking to the church. You are all children of light, children of the day. We are not of the night or of darkness. So then let us not sleep as others do, but let us keep awake and be sober. For those who sleep, sleep at night, and those who get drunk are drunk at night. But since we belong to the day, let us be sober, he says. So this is confusing language. Okay, Paul, which is it? Is it nighttime? Is it daytime? What do these things mean? What is he getting at here? Well, he's using the metaphor of day and night, again, to describe the way in which, in which Christ's coming is going to be experienced differently by different people. For the unbeliever, Christ will come as if it is in the night. And we read about that in Zephaniah's passage. But for the believer, it'll be as if Christ comes in the day. This is kind of confusing. And it would have been confusing for them as well. The Bible, it divides history into two separate ages. We have this present age, which is an evil age. And I don't think we need to be convinced of that, right? We just have to open up the news and see just how uh, corrupt this present age is. It's full of violence and lies and wartime. This is the age of night that we are now in. But then the Bible speaks of the future age. And this is an age that begins with the Messiah, the Christ. He comes into this world and he ushers in the age of light, this new era of peace, of global peace, of, of shalom with God, in which we'll see him face to face. Well, 2,000 years ago, something rather unexpected and strange happened in human history. This man appeared and he claimed that the kingdom of God was actually here and now. And he touched people and they were healed. He, he cast out demons. He raised people from the dead. Incredible things happened. The apostle John, one of the people who saw, this thing, saw these things happening, he described it like this. He says, the darkness is passing and the true light is already shining. This man, Jesus Christ, did more. He was killed. He died upon a cross. He was buried in a tomb. But then on the third day, he rose again from the dead. By Jesus Christ, the age of light is actually here and now. But obviously, it's also the age of the nighttime. It's also here. I think what we're seeing here in these passages is that these two ages, the ages of day and the age of night, are overlapping with one another. And for those who are in Christ, we get to experience the age of the day here and now. It's almost as if that new age has, has broken forth from the future and it, and it sort of trickles into the here and now. And for those of us who are in Christ, we now get to experience the power and the grace and the beauty and the love that exists in this age of day. So what does this look like for us here and now? So I've, I've received permission from Karis to use this illustration, okay, um, and I also received permission from um, her uncle who this involves. But we've, we've had family in town this last weekend. And two nights ago, on Friday night, we went out to a fancy restaurant to celebrate uh, a, a wonderful event in our family's life, a wonderful occasion. And we ate way too much food. Uh, we enjoyed fine beverages. It was a lovely occasion. Uh, I feel like I'm still recovering from all the, uh, all the food. I was so stuffed, my goodness. And when we went home that night, we slept hard as a family. Like as soon as my head hit the pillow, 
I was out. I was so asleep. Well, I had forgotten that um, Uncle Matt, who is everyone's favorite uncle, every family probably has an Uncle Matt. Uh, We say the yes uncle sometimes. Um, But Uncle Matt said that the next day he was going to be going on an early morning walk, and anyone who wanted to join him uh, was more than welcome to do so. Well, while everyone was still asleep, clothed in darkness, aching (laughs) from all the food, Karis woke up early. She got ready. She got dressed. She went into the living room, which was filled with the morning light. And sure enough, she heard Uncle Matt knocking on the door. And she was was able to go to the door and join Uncle Matt on a lovely walk. Uh, They went around Lake Harriet. They got donuts. What a heavenly treat. Donuts on a Saturday morning. They were able to see the sunshine hitting the mist on the lake and, and it rising up. And I kid you not, they were actually reunited with an old friend completely by surprise. Her name's Deborah. They met her a long time ago on another walk, but they met Deborah again, who they hadn't seen for three years, and they were able to reconnect, reunited with friends of old. And all of us back in the home were still asleep. The shades were drawn, it was dark. For us, it was nighttime. I hope you see the connections here. You see, friends, our first invitation is to wake up, to wake up, to yearn for the coming of Christ, to be ready, to wipe the sleep from your eyes, to get the grogginess out of your system, to stay awake, to stay alert, so that you can be ready with Christ, to enjoy him, to enjoy the the food that he provides for us, to be reunited with, with friends of old. It is good to be in the daytime with Jesus Christ. And so the first invitation is to to be a part of the light, to be a part of the day. It is good here, brothers and sisters. Be of clear mind. Be ready for the coming of Christ, to await his coming in glory with readiness. So secondly, what can we see in this this passage? These next two invitations I'll be much quicker with. So in verse 9, Paul says, For God has not destined us for wrath, but to obtain salvation through, his Lord, through our Lord Jesus Christ. And then get this, who died for us so that we might live with him. Brothers and sisters, Jesus died for you so that you might live with him. Now, Paul doesn't here launch into a theology of, of sacrifice and of atonement. But le- may we be clear, all of our stories begin in the darkness, don't they? All of us actually belong. That is our home is is in that age of the nighttime. We're all sinners. We're all creatures of selfishness and of violence and of malice. And the Bible is quite, quite clear that our punishment for our sin, for our selfishness and violence is death. And so this is why Jesus Christ came. He came to live a life that we were not capable of living ourselves. And upon the cross, he died paying a debt that we ourselves could not pay. All of the wrath of God was was placed upon him and satisfied so that when our faith is placed in Jesus Christ, we get access to to Christ and his righteousness. We're we're clothed in his righteousness. And and because the payment of sin has been paid, we don't have to feel the guilt and shame of our sin anymore. We can be received uh, in the presence of God himself and placed within his household with brothers and sisters. And this is why we have hope. Because it's not up to us. It's not because of anything that we've done. It's everything that God has done. He has done these things for us. This is something that God has already achieved, which means that there's nothing that you can do to lose it. You belong to Christ. He has claimed you. You've been washed by him. 
Our role is simply to accept the invitation because Jesus wants to live with you, because he loves you. He created you with a purpose in mind. He wants to instill you with his, with his spirit so that you can be his ambassador, his representative, that you can be the presence of Christ to those around you and that we might live with him. He created you because he loves you and he wants to spend all of eternity with you. This Advent season, as we continue to dwell on the second coming of Christ, may your heart just grow in, in a desire to see him again, that the one who created you, you will see face to face. And so a second invitation is simply to contemplate the great love of God. May you dwell in the love of God. May you rest in the love of God. May you know that he loves you and wants to be with you. That is the, the helmet that we have, the hope of salvation. It, it shelters us, this hope that we will dwell with God forever. May you contemplate his great love. So thirdly, what do we have in this passage for us? Paul concludes in verse 11 by saying, Therefore, encourage one another and build one another up just as you're already doing. Do you hear the pastor's heart in this? He's not just saying, do more, work harder. He's saying, just as you're already doing. He says, grow in this. I know you're doing this by the power of the Holy Spirit among you. Lean into it. Stay awake. Continue doing this. This world is a discouraging place, is it not? Lies bombard us every single day. Lies saying that you're not worthy enough. You're not beautiful enough. You're not smart enough. You're too weak. You're too broken. You're undesirable. Undesirable. These things cause division in our own hearts. They divide us from one another and they, they, separate, they make us feel as if God's love is not for us anymore. But Jesus pursues us, and we, his beloved people, are encouraged and invited to encourage one another. Encourage, that is to impart courage to one another, boldness to one another, strength to one another. I was reading the First Nations Bible translation, which translates this, this passage uh, as help each other grow strong. I love that. Help one another grow strong. You know, uh, I, I've seen a therapist in my life, that's good. I have coaches in my life, that's good. But man, the encouragement that I receive from you as brothers and sisters, that is great. And so may we also do that with one another. It's good to have outside uh, perspectives and, and experts on these things, but that doesn't abdicate us from encouraging one another, brothers and sisters. We ought to do so heartily, all the time, consistently, by the power of the Holy Spirit. We can do this in small ways, simply at, by smiling at one another, offering a hug, encouraging one another, you know, letting one another know, I see you, I see what you're going through. But also be ready to help one another and encourage one another in big ways. That is what we do as brothers and sisters, is it not? Extend the a friendship to people who it might not be easy to do that with, to come alongside someone who's feeling particularly discouraged or torn down or weak, how might God be inviting you to be his presence in their life, one another, right now? How might God be inviting you to encourage someone who particularly needs it right now? So today, I haven't done this in a while, but I'd like to conclude with a, a quiet moment of contemplation. I've, I've offered three invitations to you today. How might Jesus might be calling you to wake up? And I've been using the metaphor of wiping the sleep from your eyes. What sort of habits of darkness do you need to repent of and, and shed as you prepare for the arrival of Christ? So that's one invitation. Another invitation is how might you be uh, called to, to contemplate God's uh, abundant love for you? And then thirdly, 
Who in your life needs a particular word of encouragement? Who has God placed near to you who you could encourage? So I would like to take a moment of quietness and ask that you would, that you would pray to the Lord. Ask for him to pour out his Holy Spirit upon you in a fresh new way. And maybe um, ask which one of these invitations uh, you, uh, by his spirit, ought to be accepting today. And how might that pan out in your life? So let us come before the Lord together. Oh, Father, thank you for calling us into your kingdom of light. We, your children. Lord Jesus, I pray that you would fill us with your Holy Spirit. You would help us, Lord, to stay awake and ready for you. Oh, Lord Jesus, we want to see you. We want the darkness purged from our hearts, from our cities, from our world, Lord. We want to see your righteousness clearly, your beauty and your peace. May it be so. We ask this in your name and for your glory. Amen.